This is Let Me Tell You. Now, here's Joan Hamburg. Welcome to Let Me Tell You. Well, today is a really interesting look at what's under the ground in the greatest city in the world. Joan Geismar is an urban archaeologist. I'm going to let her explain what that means. But generally, if people are developing or building or whatever they're doing, they have to call in an urban archaeologist before they put up their projects to find out what's gone on before them. And sometimes amazing things happen. It was just a big story about the discovering of an African-American cemetery in a parking lot. So you never know what has happened in the past, what is before, and what is an urban archaeologist, a Joan Geismar? People still don't get it because it doesn't <laughs> look like if you go to the Middle East or you go to places where they're doing active archaeology, you can't imagine coming into the city that there's a world underneath your feet. Well, there certainly is a world underneath one's feet, and it's been we've been exploring it for, I would say it started in the 1960s, but it really picked up in the late 1970s. And now I think most, most people are aware of the fact that there is archaeology in New York City, but it's a very special kind, and there are very special rules. And let me just set one thing straight, Joni. It's not every project that one has to do archaeology. There are projects where people will ask to do archaeology, which is really an amazing breakthrough. But it's only under certain conditions that you can do archaeology when there's public money involved, when it's a landmark, you know, um, and, and even then it's only under certain conditions. But one of the things that fascinates me is having, I've been doing this for decades. First of all, I still love it. I want everyone to know I still love it because the act of discovery never wanes. It's just so thrilling. Every time you put a shovel in the ground, you're going to find something. And even if you find nothing when you expect to find something, that tells you something about that site that you didn't know before. For example, why wasn't what I was looking for there when it should have been, which starts a whole new train of thought and other research. But it's it's what's so interesting is how much there is still there, and even n- nowadays, as as you mentioned, it's when when there's a project. But as I just said, when there is public money involved, or an under, only under special conditions, and yet we find so much, even though it might not be where I would think I might want to dig. Uh, maybe I'd like to be, dig 50 feet over, but I'm not allowed to because that is not where it's going to be disturbed which is actually a good thing because archaeology does destroy but um, because you're digging it up even though you, you are you know writing everything down and getting all the information but it's amazing what we do find and a, an extraordinary example of that was Washington Square Park where I was the archaeologist over a number of years on and off where they were putting in new infrastructure and it was you know we could only I did research I knew where there could be some areas of archaeological interest but I could only be where they were going to dig and where they were going to put the new infrastructure. And, Joni, what we found was just extraordinary. For example, Washington Square Park, I knew, and, m- and many people know, had been an, a part of it, had been a potter's field in the late 19th and early, tw- I'm sorry, the late 18th and early tw- uh, 19th century. I always get that mixed up. And um, 
we we knew it was. The question was, were there still burials there? And explain what a potter's field is. A potter's field is where the indigent, the unknown, where people who can't afford to be in a cemetery, people, the the, um, stillborn, people who die in epidemics. I was going to say a pandemic because of what's going on now. Mm -hmm. But people who have no recourse to a a cemetery would be buried in a potter's field. Hearts Island is is our potter's field now. There have been several. But uh, uh, Washington Square Park was the second one, the city's second one. Um, Madison Square Park was for a short time one. Uh, the site of, uh, of um, well, Waldorf Astoria was a potter's field. The site of the, of the uh, New York Public Library in, on 42nd Street, part of that was a potter's field. But we're talking about a long, long time ago. But um, anyway, it was amazing how, what all the wonderful, wonderful things we learned about past life and even past death, digging in Washington, or not, I wasn't digging, I was watching them dig and running in and jumping in when we found something. And, and they the, found personal items, they found no, 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 not Cemet- at Washington Square Park, what? it was a cemetery, and that was, it was, uh, and it wasn't a cemetery where people supposedly had goods or, or uh, caskets or anything, and yet we did find, we found just a lot of information, actually. But we also found one, one um, well, one tombstone. And that was a shock, because why would there be a tombstone in a potter's field where people can't afford things? Why was Johnny, there? we find a lot of ceramics and all that in, in, in privies. That's where mm-hmm. we find all the, that kind of material. But not in the potter's field. Anyway, we just found a great deal of, uh, of information about... The, about how the city dealt with uh, the small, uh, I'm sorry, not smallpox, a scarlet fever that came. No, what's wrong with me? Yellow fever, I'm going to get it right now. They probably dealt with all these things. But after a certain point in 1799, anyone who died of yellow fever had to be buried in the potter's field. If you were the king of England, England yeah. of course I'm making that up, you would be buried in the potter's field because that was the law, because everyone, they were so afraid of yellow fever and its contagion which, of course, wasn't even a fact. It wasn't contagious at all. It was, the, you know, the um, mosquito that transmitted it. Anyway, you would be buried in that potter's field, which changed the entire concept of what was the potter's field in Washington Square Park. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember many, many years ago when you found, not necessarily in Washington Square Park, was it a boat or part of a ship <laughs> or what was it? No, it wasn't Washington Square Park. You're absolutely right. It was, no, it was three-quarters of a ship. It was my very first dig as an urban archaeologist in a, a lot, decades ago. And, um, again, we were digging. This is where they were digging where there was going to be construction, not, not uh, infrastructure. And we found, what, let's see, the backhoe operator. Uh, we were looking to see where, how deep the landfill was in the seaport on this seaport block and the South Street seaport. And the backhoe operator said to me, Joan, where should we put this last test? And I very scientifically pointed to a spot and said, how about there? And he put the backhoe operator, started digging, the dirt fell away, and there was wood. And the wood seemed to, I assumed, was some sort of, uh, uh, you know, something holding the landfill in place. And then it turned out it was the midsection, port side of a ship. 
and the ship was 100 feet long. It was a merchant vessel, and it was indeed holding the landfill in place. It had been tied into, into the cribbing that was, um, that was holding the landfill. It was a very exciting find. Someone said, Joan, your ship came in, and I always remembered that, believe me. And that was, um, that was my very first dig, and it's been an excitement ever since then. Right, and the city is full of wonders wherever you are able to dig. Oh, always something, Tony. Always. You know, there are the privies, as I said. A privy is where the outhouses used to be before there was indoor plumbing. Mm-hmm. They had to be filled when they were no longer in use. The fill was usually trash. You know, it was, it, and, you know, if they left them open, people could fall in and hurt themselves. Anyway, uh, the trash is, could come from the building it's, itself. The occupants of the building will be brought in from somewhere else. But it always told you about life. It always tells you about life in the past. And, they, and every privy pit has its own, uh, how should I put it, its own character. There's a privy pit of the laudanum, which is a form of opium. There was a privy pit of the, of the ink bottles. There was the privy, I mean, they, they just have a character to them. And, Joni, I can't tell you how excited I still get by all the information that we get from these urban digs, really. Right. And didn't you, or someone was telling me about the Tenement Museum... No, I was the archaeologist there when they were developing the museum, and that was a, 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 another wonderful experience. That Lower East Side, the Lower East Side Tenement Museum, and uh, which has developed into a, it's now an, a, a national, you know, a, a, um, a park, a national park museum. It's quite a wonderful, wonderful um, museum. It's a special museum, but the archaeology in the backyard was was. How should I put it? It was a revelation of many, many sides. Like points. why? Well, it, it was a, a, there. We I thought we would find privies because the, the building dated from the eight, early mm-hmm. 1860s, and you, they didn't have indoor plumbing yet. But we didn't find a, a standard privy pit. We found what was called a school sink, which is the beginning. The, apparently, they had just gotten in, not just gotten in, but had just put in um, um, sewers. So they could take waste out of the out of these this backyard toilet and let it go into the sewers, but it was um, it, I mean just finding that instead of a privy was very interesting. The, the owner of that building, the the man who built it, uh, was ahead of his time. He hooked into a sewer early when he there wasn't a law to do that yet, and that in itself was interesting. That wasn't the same kind of um, material that we would usually find, the same kind of ceramics, et cetera. It was very sparse because you wouldn't fill up a, a, sort of the, the tank, if you would, the outdoor tank of the, uh, the way you would in a privy pit, which did go anywhere. Uh, this was something that you didn't want to plug up because the water was supposed to clean it out. But he, this, people still threw things in, and when it, again, when it was no longer in use, it was filled with trash. So what we would find a wonderful piece of ceramic next to a, a MasterCard, you know, because it was a mixed fill. So. And I'm curious. Anyway, all, yeah. I'm talking to Joan Geisma, <laughs> who's an urban archaeologist practicing here in the area. But what stories does garbage have to tell? I remember you once saying, a lot of us are like garbologists. That's and, what my husband calls me, Joni, a garbologist, because that is what we deal with. 
no matter what, archaeologists do deal with what people leave behind. And in many cases, I mean, it's garbage, especially if you're digging in a privy pit. And we are garbologists, but garbage reveals so much about the past, and it can even reveal so much about the present. If you were to look at your garbage, say you were to find, you were to throw away a trash bag, and if you were to go through that trash bag, you would find evidence of your daily life, and everyone's daily life is different than the one next to them. So it just it just gives you information, and it's information you don't read about. It's information you you can't just amass. You, it's seeing what it is and making sense of it, and realizing how different we all are. You know, it's sort of like women when we go shopping. We all go to the same stores basically, and yet we all dress differently. You know, we all. I mean, we, we, there may be a trend, but we have our own take on it, and our garbage is the same way. Thank you, Joan Geismar. Joan, an urban archaeologist practicing in this part of the world. Really interesting. Thank you so much for sharing. I look forward to talking to you again. And Thank I'm you Joan, for the opportunity. You're welcome. Me. And I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC.